This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy evening, everybody. How y'all doing? How was the weekend? Hope you had a very relaxing weekend. Uh, focusing on self-care joy, maybe uh, spent some face time with the family. Um, other individuals kind of celebrated maybe with those in their home. Um, interesting, interesting times, I, I swear. It's never dull watching uh, the election ping pong ball back and forth, <laughs> watching the uh, transition team finally be able to kind of hand over and allow. So that's great to see. I think some of our anxiety has been, you know, decreased, not completely eliminated. I think there's um, uh, under two months left, right? Uh, the the 20th, January 20th, Biden will get um, <laughs> sworn in as the new president. So still some time for a lot more interesting tweets and sound bites to happen. COVID numbers, we're still getting good reports on vaccines, although the numbers aren't great. So still asking everyone to kind of follow those rules. Here in LA, everything got closed again. Oh man, essential, still open, but um, lost access to any kind of outdoor dining or sitting, which... Man, it's a tough one because on one hand, I support all the small businesses that are trying to keep themselves going. I also think that during a pandemic, that's not the best time to, to go out and dine and have dinner, though we do need to keep those people employed. So please support local businesses. Definitely get some takeout, uh, get delivery. Small businesses need our help powerfully. Um, so if you can try to go that route, Sia, Sia has been making a lot of uh, waves and it's not just for her music. It's interesting to track this. I've been tracking this now for, gosh, what is it over a week and a half? So for those that aren't familiar, um, she, she wrote a musical called musical <laughs> in Sia style. And essentially she used one of the dancers as the lead role who is not autistic. It is about autistic individuals, the movie and the community's pushing back saying, Hey, there's autistic actors. Why don't you use one of them again? And these individuals are not going to get brought in for any other kind of role. And um, their complaint is, look, they're using an um, non-autistic actor who is going to just be very much engaging in stereotypes, the way people think that autism looks. And that's not, that's not in fact always true. And they've reached out to Autism Speaks, who is an organization that... Autism advocates do not support because Autism Speaks sees autism as uh, bad and broken and needing cure, where the autistic community has said we are a different community with our different forms of communication and having a different kind of brain is not bad or broken. It's just functioning at a different level in a different way. And those actors are coming out saying, I would have done it. I would have done it. But uh, she's doubling down. Basically, her response is kind of heinous. Instead of saying, hey, you know, I'm here to listen to the community, the community around which I make 
making a film about, you know, there's something very problematic and colonizing in doing a project about a community and then not listening to what that community is saying in terms of how they feel harmed or underrepresented. So, you know, again, that's how we actually become allies. Listen to the individuals that you're saying you're trying to help or uh, be more inclusive around or give representation, representation, representation to. I can't speak. Don't make those decisions for them. That's patriarchy at its worst, right? So there's a lesson to learn in that. Um, oh, we see movies all the time with mental health focuses and they tend to be just stereotypes or they always come from the model of, you know, broken, needing fixing or what they call inspiration porn, which is this idea that we watch people's disabilities and they overcome them. And that makes us feel good about ourselves. And, you know, it's okay to just have someone who happens to by default have a neurodiversity, but they're still thriving. It's kind of like people talking about the gay films that are coming out this holiday season. Although on one hand, really great to have representation. They're just not progressive enough. They're all centered again in people's coming out stories, which yawn. I'm, per I'm, I'm personally bored of seeing that as the main storyline for a gay character. And then there's always struggle around that, which I know is true for many, but how about you do a storyline where someone's not coming out or someone's already come out and it's been successful or they're thriving. Like I'm kind of burnt out on the uh, broken coming out trope. It's a little tired. And I'm, I'm hearing that from people in the community as well. Like this is, it's, it's a, it's a film about gay people made for straight people. Essentially it's through the straight gaze, like uh, G A Z E the straight, the straight perspective. Like how do they see gay people and what storyline do they relate to? And there it is, you know, difficult coming out, but they love wins in the end. And I'm personally bored and exhausted by that stuff. So I will not be watching that. <laughs> God bless it. Um, question of the night as always is up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So you can wait on that. Also check out past episodes of uh, Loveline on we are channel Q.com coming up next. I'm going to talk about something that's really interesting. It's about types of rest. And we need that because a lot of individuals I work with, when I say to them, what kind of rest did you do over the weekend? It tends to be passive forms, but nonetheless still work. We don't know how to rest. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. And then also talking about uh, signs that you're being catfished. Oh yeah. Not only are there scams going on right now in terms of products that aren't actually going to be sent or sold to you, but also in terms of relationality, you know, that catfishing thing is still happening. So we're going to talk about ways to make sure that does not happen to you. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Oh, right. We're back. And, uh, so interesting, you know, <laughs> We have a lot of our values backwards, right? We talk all the time about how our culture doesn't prioritize mental health, right? And that's why I work with a lot of individuals that when they have downtime, they don't know what to do with it. They're so used to hyper productivity, right? And their days really being centered in that, that when they have time off, they don't even know what a hobby is. But bigger than that, they don't even know how to rest. And the work, my work as a psychologist is to help people thrive, not just survive. And that's what some people are focused on. How do I get through today? How do I get through this week? How do I get through this year? I'll just drink more caffeine, right? I'll just work longer days, whatever it is, they're pushing and pushing and pushing. And the work is about actually slowing down, doing less because surviving isn't good enough of a goal. I want people to actually thrive, which means they feel good about everything they're doing, right? Their lives are centered maybe not always, but at least frequently or enough around all the things that give them meaning and give them joy. 
Now we're talking a lot more these days about uh, rest because I'm working with far too many people that are just burnt out and exhausted. Again, some of that is contextual, but some of it's just that we have our priorities really, really misdirected. Now, when we talk about rest, it's important that we look at all the different kinds of rest that there can be because I think some people just always center the physical. But we have social rest, we have emotional rest, we have even creative and spiritual forms. So let's kind of break some of that down. And these are just ways to really analyze what areas are maybe left unaddressed or to give you a new sense of ways that you can engage in self-care and really kind of nourish yourself. So the first one is physical rest. We're all pretty familiar with that. And that can mean napping, right? It can mean going to bed earlier. It can mean at times getting up earlier, right? It can also be about paying attention to your quality of sleep because those eight hours don't mean enough if the quality isn't high, right? So that's about not having caffeine late in the day, things like that. Also things like breaks when you're at work and you have a break. Are you working through your break? Are you taking on more labor in that time? Or are you going for a walk? Are you sitting outside in silence? You know, spending your break swiping around on your phone is often not a form of rest. It's it's more stimulation that you're taking in. And so I tell people a true break, okay, when you're on your lunch break at work or at home, is put your phone down. Don't have a conversation with anyone. Go find, go sit outside your house. Go sit outside your job. Sit by yourself. Sit outside. Close your eyes. Go for a walk. Go sit in your car. Go for a drive. But don't be engaging in anything that's stimulating. Don't be on your phone. Don't be checking emails. Don't be looking at social media. Take a break from all that. I'd rather you be checking that while you're on the clock. Let your employer pay for some of your swiping time. You know what I mean? Go do that while you're in the bathroom. But your rest time, your breaks, those are yours. There should be nothing work-related, not for your family, not for your friends, not for your job. That is your time. And that's why I want you to sit just thinking, just resting, eating your lunch, right? Or having a glass of water. But that's really, really, really important because again, some people think that work and labor is only what they're doing maybe at the office or at home, but they're not paying attention to swiping around or calling someone or texting is still another form of exertion. And it's still another thing that's further depleting on top of maybe an already depleted and burnt out system, AKA you, your body, your mental health. So make sure you're actually doing nothing, as close to nothing as possible, just sitting, just breathing. And that's what I do on my breaks. I'll sometimes play music, but I'll try to go for a walk. I'll go sit outside. I'll just sit on the couch and just lean back and close my eyes. Like that's resting, stillness. You're not thinking about anything. You're not focused on anything. You're not working on anything, right? So notice all those important distinctions that we talk about because you're trying to let your body recharge. So that's physical rest, having the body no longer at motion, having the body not focusing on anything or doing anything, right? And that's hard for some of us. I was raised in a family where I remember seeing my father on our downtime or our vacations. He didn't always know what to do with himself because that time was so few and far between that when it happened, it was very foreign to him. And I remember that so profoundly. And I said to myself, I don't want to be like that. I want to make sure that my schedule, my daily weekly schedule always has built in rest and all the other things that bring my life joy. I, 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 I'm here to do more than just get money to pay my bills, right? I want our time to be able to extend outside of that. And I know some people are saying, well, that's privileged. It is, but we all do nonetheless need to try to find ways, ways and moments that we can build into 
our time, this healing, this healing space. Because if you don't do that, you start to see chronic illness, chronic mental health issues. Our mental health is so deeply tied to our body. All right, so let's move on to another one. Let's talk about spiritual rest. These are also forms of self-care, right? So, you know, not everyone has a spiritual practice. Uh, some people have religion. Some people have spirituality. Some people don't really engage in any of the above, and that's okay. I do think it can be important because it's about thinking beyond and outside of ourselves, right? So for me, spirituality is when we consider the impact we have maybe on the, the wider world. And so for some people, maybe their activism is what would be most spiritually related, you know, consideration of other, trying to make the world better for those that are exploited, marginalized, disenfranchised. Like there's spirituality to me in that, you know, and the most important spiritual practices seek to do that. The spiritual work that they do is in service of being better for others. You know, that's the basis of, um, well, most spiritual practices, even a lot of religions. So that is going to have a trickle down effect. But for some people that could mean reading really inspiring material, right? I often do that. I uh, love the work of a lot of Hindu writers, uh, Buddhist writers, and even some um, liberation-centered theology and Christianity. A lot of the old-school Christianity just isn't really relevant, hasn't really ca caught up with where we are today. But for some people, again, they read the scriptures, they read philosophy. Others, it's prayer, it's meditation. For some, it's even things like volunteering, right? Again, stepping outside of themselves. And all those things are really meaningful. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to continue exploring all the different kinds of rest as a way to just better assess maybe where we have an area that needs some more attention um, or also just some new ideas of self-care. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. So we're talking about different kinds of rest. So many different domains you want to think about and consider. And this is a way, again, for us to assess an area that maybe we want to put more care, attention, or energy into. The first one we were talking about was physical rest. And I was saying how we're very familiar with putting our, you know, our body in a space of stillness. But I was saying, hey, you know, think beyond that. It's not physical rest if you're still using your body or your mind in a hyper-focused, attentive way. Meaning, checking emails, looking at social media, texting someone back, giving someone a phone call. That's actually further depleting. That's more stimulation or exhaustion. Physical rest means you're doing nothing. You are not on your phone. You're not engaged in conversation. And I was saying you could go sit on a, a bench, go for a walk, sit outside, close your eyes, play music, whatever you need to do. And now we're kind of talking about spiritual rest. Uh, these are also forms of self-care, right? So they all kind of feed into each other. And, you know, some people use prayer. Uh, prayer is definitely a form of meditation. Some people use meditation, which is also somewhat of a form of prayer. Some people read material, philosophy. I try to do that as well. I try to start every single day being very focused and grounded and reading inspirational material. That also reminds me who I want to be in the world, what my values are, and also what my purpose here is. You know, And so I always try to keep that in sight. And uh, being a therapist and an activist definitely is... Um, a lighthouse that guides me. It, when in doubt, I rely back on those ethics to understand what decision I should make or what kind of perspective I want to apply to a situation. And my spirituality is very much tied into that as well. Like my activism, my ethics, my spirituality, my psychotherapy training, all of that really coalesces into this really beautiful path and journey that I'm on and I, and I walk down with others. Um, so examine that. Like, do you have a spirituality? How might that help you? And there's so many different ways to access that. So think about that because for many, that's a site of rest. It's also a form of self-care. Now we can also talk about the creative. People talk about creative rest. What does that mean? Well, 
We want to find things that are energizing, right? Things that are inspiring or transformative. And that can be reading, that can be art. And what I love is that there's no wrong way to engage in art. When you're using something like creativity or art as a restorative practice, as a form of rest, right? As a form of healing, as a form of self-care, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be uh, good. It doesn't have to be ready for public consumption or analysis or engagement. Something you do for yourself. And there are some adults that color. There are adult coloring books. You can use a child's coloring book. It doesn't I don't know why it needs to be like a special coloring book for an adult, but they have they have them nonetheless. But some people color. And that is a form of art for them because art is just any, any act of expression of our uh, thoughts, of our ideas, of our unconscious. And it can be done in so many different ways. I know people that do puzzles, put puzzles together. That's very meditative. That's also part of like this creative expression. You can write. I do a lot of writing. And writing just really hits all these different points. It's psychological. It's spiritual. It's also transformative. It's healing. It's insightful. Some people paint. Some people draw. There's no wrong way. And so don't be afraid of stepping into some kind of art practice because you think that there's a right way. Or again, it has to be you know with for public consumption or public viewing. It's for you and yourself. And a lot of the art I produce is never seen by anyone else. But it's a way for me to engage a different part of myself and also to learn about myself. And then finally, we have the emotional and the mental, right? And again, that can be a therapist, that can be music. And notice how these things all have a thread that tie into each other. I use my my music. I take, I take time out of my night, every single night, and I check out from the world. I put the phone away, I turn the television off, I go in my bedroom, I close the door, I turn the lights off, I put on my headphones, and I play music, music that really, really feels regenerative, regenerative to, excuse me, regenerative to me. God. Oh, pronunciation. And I close my eyes and I just let it move me. I let it transform me. And it's so healing. It's such a beautiful form of active rest, right? Instead of passive rest. And um, we also talk about things like active imagination, where people walk around. And then finally, I want to end on just social and sensory rest. Social rest, right, is about either backing away from depleting social and relational engagements or leaning into the ones that are really, really nourishing. And sensory rest, that's something that I identify with really powerfully where I sometimes need time away from sound and light. And that's when I, again, put on my headphones and I go into my room and I close the door and I turn off the music and I'm just zoning out because it can be very overwhelming to hear our neighbors, our family members, the television, all these things, again, keep us hyper-stimulated. They don't allow our nervous systems to just cool down and quiet down. Um, so there are just different ideas uh, to consider in terms of self-care. And notice how none of them involve spending money. None of these things require you leaving your house, spending money, buying anything, doing anything different to your home or your apartment or your room. They're very simple. Candles, reading material right? Prayer, art. And that's what I love about it. Most of the most, most of the, uh, uh, highly higher impact, transformative and restorative things are free, right? And if they're not, there's really easy, accessible ways to find it online and for reduced prices. So anyway, think about all that stuff. Um, as we move into the new year, it's all about kind of incorporating in these new practices. So coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. As always, Question of the Night is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. 
All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Alexis. I've been talking to this guy, Kevin, since the pandemic. We've never met up, but we talk almost every day, and we FaceTime, so I know he's not a catfish. See? Good stuff. You got to make sure people aren't a catfish. Um, even before a date, I tell people, get them on FaceTime, at least on the telephone, excuse me, because that will help you assess a lot of compatibility. You might realize through FaceTime you're getting on the phone that the uh, chemistry is just not there. And in order to assess that, you want to really hear them, see what it's like to sit with them and talk, look at them. Attraction's important, you know. Um, okay, so your question says, my girlfriend suggested that I Google search him just to make sure he was the real deal. And I did. Yep, see, you can even drop the picture into Google search. Turns out he's been divorced twice and he has two kids. He told me about the divorce, only one, and not about the kids. My friends think that I should just cut him off, but to be honest, I really don't care about all that. What hurts me is that he hasn't told me any of these things himself. Should I ask him about it or should I just cut him off? Never just cut people off. I don't know what the reasoning is behind him not sharing. Maybe he just feels like he hasn't gotten to know you well enough. People are allowed to have boundaries and privacy. No one has to tell someone else about anything from their past. That I don't I guess my question's always where did you get the idea that you're owed a disclosure about literally every single thing in someone's life? I, I don't agree with that and I never will. I will say though, having spoken with this person for what, six or seven months, it is interesting that they haven't brought up about the kids. Um, there's a lot of stigma around divorce. So I understand why some people don't bring that forward and, and I advise that. There's a lot of stigma there. You don't need to share that you were divorced. You were in a relationship. We've been in many relationships. Whether you got married or not, we all come and go from many relationships. It shouldn't be a larger stigma or mark against someone because they took it as far as marriage, right? We have to really let go of that. That's really problematic. But um. Yeah, this person hasn't shared about their kids. Maybe they don't live with their kids or see their kids. Maybe it's something they're not prepared to talk about. Maybe you've said something about not liking kids and so they withheld. I don't know. But what happens is when you go and you do these uh, inspector gadget research projects, you come up with information that you're going to have to acknowledge you came up with, that you found. I would never want you to hold that secret, but uh, yeah, so you have to come clean. There's no other way to kind of bring this forward, and I don't want you to now start lying as well and withhold that you found that. And this person might not be ready to talk about it, but you finding that now forces them to have to talk about it. So here's the deal. If you're gonna do research projects on people, be prepared to come clean with what you find. Otherwise you're right. You're left not knowing why they shared or didn't share something. Um, I don't know what that divorce or having kids might mean or be, be like structurally for this person. So yeah, come clean with the fact that you found it and ask them why they weren't comfortable or willing to tell you. But there's nothing wrong inherently in that, and so do it in a neutral way. But to just cut someone off without understanding any of those factors is a very immature and primitive way of dating. Again, I don't know where everyone got the idea that someone who just met us for a few months, that they should owe us 
private personal things to be disclosed. People have to earn their way into the more private personal parts of our lives. And maybe you haven't, maybe it's more casual than you realize. I don't know, but as part of good communication and relational skills, always go directly to the person and don't listen to your friends. 99% of the time I say to people, don't listen to your friend's advice. It's usually coming from their own anxieties, their own fears, and it's not usually about holding the bar high for you and trying to make you better. So yes, please talk to this person. You clearly cared enough about them to be giving them this much time and energy almost every day since the pandemic began. Um, and you do owe them that and you do owe yourself that. But that's the thing, y'all. You find these things out, and then you don't know what to do with them. You got to come clean. It's like when you go through someone's phone and you find something. Sure, die with a lie if you want, but who's that helping? You know, good luck holding those secrets. That's really hard to know information about someone that you have a lot of powerful feelings about, but not do anything with it. Oof, careful what you look for. All right, y'all. Funny enough, coming up next, we're going to talk about how to not get catfished. <laughs> You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right. Uh, how many of y'all have been catfished? Yeah. See, I hope none of you have catfished anyone. And if you currently are, stop. It's, it's a really violent act. It's a form of emotional abuse. And for those that aren't familiar, catfishing is basically when someone creates a fake identity, usually on a social media platform or a dating site. And it's a fake identity, and they basically use it to take advantage of someone. They falsely represent who they are, pretend to be someone else, someone's name, someone's uh, pictures, and build a relationship with someone. And it's heartbreaking because people are looking to be seen, to be heard, to be connected to, and to misuse that and use someone who's open and vulnerable or lonely as a way to get whatever it is you're trying to get is heartbreaking. Now, I also feel bad for some of the people that catfish others. It's never okay, never, ever, ever. But I also do understand where some people, we live in a world, look, we live in a world, we have these things called um, desirability politics. And it's basically all the standards that need to be met for someone to feel valuable or attractive in our world. We're actively trying to change that because it's such a limited perspective. And I know that some people don't feel like they can really find the care and attention they want based on who they currently are. And they'll feel like, well, then I need to pretend to be someone else. That's a lose-lose for everyone because it doesn't give you what you want and you aren't really being seen or related to. And the catfisher knows that and you're harming someone else in service of you trying to steal the attention or intimacy that you can't find otherwise. And so it really just harms everyone. Now, there's a TV show that made it famous, and that was made famous based on the creator's documentary about himself being catfished. Uh, I remember when it first came out, I saw it in the theater, and I was like, this is quite a story. And then that whole concept took fire because dating apps and social media have really allowed people to set up fake profiles. I Every year, I have a few fake profiles, people pretending to be me. And luckily, my followers will let me know so I can report it and have it taken down. But people have set up fake accounts pretending to be me on Instagram and then sending really problematic messages to people. And um, luckily these days, people are, you know, a little more aware of these things happening. But uh, so what are the signs though? There are some red flags. There are some things to think about. Number one, they, they don't answer their phone. I mean, that's, these days, most people, the bulk of people do have access to a telephone, a cell phone, a camera phone, and people that are constantly giving reasons as to why they can't pick it up. Dun, 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 dun. There's a reason why. 
they're wanting you to either A, not know who they are at all, or B, they're trying to hide some element of who they are. And that's a, that's a huge red flag because if someone's really trying to get to know you, it's understood that you want to see their face, especially if we're talking a romantic or sexual context, right? Attraction is an important part of forming a romantic or sexual relationship. We want that. Uh, something else they might do is their social media might have very low numbers of followers or friends or connections. Now, some people naturally just don't have a lot of followers. Some people don't care. They don't engage social media a lot. But that could be part of a red flag, right? We're starting to build a case. If you're seeing a lot of these signs, well, geez, you know, most likely it's for sure you're being catfished. But you can ask questions. So one of them is, again, like I said, they won't pick up their phone, no FaceTiming and all of that. And uh, other ones might not have followers. Also, if you feel like the stories aren't quite aligning or adding up, right? Like they're giving you different details and something feels off. And that's where like our intuition really does matter. We really, really do want to listen to it, you know? Um, another thing that the Catfish Show taught us is you can really check some people's photos. You can do a Google search of a photo. You can take a photo off a profile and drop it in the Google search and it will tell you information about that photo. And that's a really great way to maybe get the real name of that person or to get real information about where they are, their, their true social media page, their Facebook or whatever it is. And then you find out that that person is fraudulent because again, part of catfishing is not just a fake identity. They often set up full fake profiles, right? Um, I tell everyone that before you go on a date or very early on, get on FaceTime. It helps you better assess attraction. It helps you make sure that the person is the person they're saying they are, uh, decreases some anxiety because if you're gonna go on a date, it's kind of a pre-date. And anyone unwilling to do that should be a red flag in any capacity, especially if they wanna then meet up on a date at some point. But either way, it's okay to say, look, in order for us to keep talking, um, it's my rule that I always make someone get on FaceTime or whatever it is because there's a lot of people using fake profiles these days. Um, and finally, like if the story just feels really made up or they're asking for money, because that's something you constantly see in these catfishing stories is the story's not adding up. They're unwilling to get on the phone or FaceTime. And then they start asking for things, money or gifts. And that's like a real red flag and understand that some people are lonely and they want to believe that this is real and they want to hang in there with this for a while. But you'll hear stories of people being in a relationship, quote unquote, with someone for weeks, months, or even years, having never seen them or met up with them. And so know that you do have a right to to start demanding and asking for those things. You know, if someone wants to have access to your life as a partner, uh, romance or sex or whatever it is, you have a right to say, okay, but I just need to make sure that you are who you say you are. Um, we have a right to set those boundaries before someone kind of forces their way or comes into our life. Man, so many stories and it's still going on. You know, technology is giving us so many ways to really double check someone's identity, but yet it still happens. So look out for yourself, especially time like this. A lot of scams, even online, people selling stuff pretending to sell stuff. It hurts my heart that that's what people are making use of, but um, so it is, so it is. Uh, all right, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline AG page, so weigh in on that. And then, of course, we'll be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All righty, we're back. Uh, question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline AG page. In the stories, weigh in on that. And I hope you all are focusing on uh, self-care, joy, and pleasure. Tough times. Holidays are hard on everyone. Still tracking those COVID numbers, not looking so great. But as we move forward, we keep getting better and better news about all that election mess, you know, with uh, Biden <laughs> taking over and Trump refusing. But anyway, good results. The judges are shutting down Trump's, you know, uh, cases of calling fraudulence to the counting of 
it, it's a it's a mess when i look at the photos of um uh, whatever we're not even gonna get into it let's get to our topic i'm so tired of talking about the election and covid it's still real it's still present it's you know but we're at some point this will be behind us we're gonna look back we're gonna go man 2020 huh so let's talk about relationships one thing i put up on my social media is that relationships take work but shouldn't be a lot of work and i think we've really given everyone an unfair assessment as to what that should be because you hear people just in endless, endless, endless sessions of couples therapy. And I don't think that that's the point or purpose of being in a relationship. We don't enter relationships romantically to make our lives harder or social relationships. We don't have to have them. It's important for our mental health. It's important for our physical health, but we get to choose. And someone should have generally a beneficial impact on you. But I work with a lot of couples where it's just constantly struggle constantly a new struggle and that's not the point and they you know again relationships should be hard work but not not that much it shouldn't be a constant state of misery and turmoil it just means you're not compatible it just means you're both not built to pull off what comes up when you two come together take some time do some individual therapy you can come back to the relationship but do yourself and your partner a favor and call it quits and stop making each other miserable you know, no relationship needs to be forever if it's toxic. There's no valor or glory or self-worth shown by someone hanging in there if it's just toxic for both of you, right? Now, the problem is some people overestimate two forces. They'll say, but I love that person. And I'll say, great. But loving someone doesn't mean that you have what it takes for you two to pull off a, a committed relationship. Just because you love someone doesn't mean that what happens when the two of you come together, that it's going to be a happy, sustainable, long-term relationship. Um, sometimes we have to love someone as a friend because we're not able to pull off the romance part. Sometimes we have to love someone from afar. And then the lust topic comes up. Just because you find someone really hot and attractive, just because sex is great, again, doesn't mean that you are built to pull off a long-term relationship with that person. Sometimes you're meant to just be sex partners. But um, pulling off a long-term committed monogamous relationship requires more than just love and lust. It requires compatibility. And that is shown by what happens when the two of you live your lives. And if it's constant fights and you're like, but I love them, doesn't matter. If it's constant fights and turmoil, but sex is great. It doesn't matter. You know, you need more than that. And that's what really fouls up some individuals. They've been taught that if you love someone, you hang in there. And that's not good. In romantic relationships, that makes both people miserable. It makes the children, if there's children, miserable. It makes your friends miserable. You know, we all have that friend where we're like, oh my God, it's always something with you and your partner. It's not meant to be. You two are not able to pull it off. And as a couples therapist, I can't help every couple find happiness or contentment or health. Some couples, the work is too difficult. They're not built for it or they're just too stuck and there might be a relationship that might be easier. It's okay to want something easier. It's okay to want something that brings a little more happiness into your life, you know? Um, not everyone realizes that, but we have these myths, you know, that love is forever, marriage is forever. No, it's not. It should be for as long as is healthy for the people involved, period. You know, um, long-term means nothing if that long-term has been one of misery. And so know that relationships take work, but not that much work and lusting for someone or loving someone just unfortunately isn't enough because at some point our psychology shows up. And again, what matters is what happens when these two people come together. How do they deal with problems? How do they repair when things go wrong? Are they, do they have the same vision for how things should be? Um, do they manage daily responsibilities well? Do they enjoy the same things? 
you know, those are, those are what really make up the bulk of our relationship. And as we've talked about um, on last week's show, a lot of people don't even understand what the word love means. What, what they're calling love isn't. What they're calling love is actually just control or what they're calling love is actually just lust or what they're calling love is a really watered down flimsy version, right? Because love is saying, I want what's best for you. And that might mean not me. To love someone might be to say, we need to end this because I care enough for you and myself that I want better for both of us. That's a radical act of love. Or saying, I care enough about your happiness that I'm gonna work on being better. I'm gonna really look at my stuff. Because the most toxic part of a relationship is, is having one person or both saying, I'm good as I am, I'm not willing to work on myself. That, that, that's a dead end, that goes nowhere. You know, so you have to really ask yourself, are we compatible? What's the general level of mental health in our relationship? And if generally it's poor, no good. If you're having multiple fights a week, every week, no good. And I don't know that some people know what can be otherwise. It's better, a healthy relationship will go months, months without an issue, months, because they let things go. They laugh it off. They give each other a break. They, they right size it. They, you know, it's not that big of a deal. They're very compatible. You know, there's not a lot that has to come up. They work well together. When they don't, they fix it right away. They repair. You know, that's what it should look like. But I think we've sold ourselves short and we've really dropped the bar on what we should expect from ourselves and other people, you know? We'll keep talking more about this stuff. I mean, I think that's one of the most vital things I can do is keep letting y'all know what it should look like and how to kind of improve it. So if you're in a relationship and you're questioning, commit to a length of time, say for the next month. I'm gonna to work to be my best. And if I can be my best for the next month, at least I can rule myself out and then I can say it's truly them and it's not me and see what's possible. You'll learn about yourself. You might realize, wow, I didn't have it in me to even get through a month. And if I can't even pull off a solid month of me being aware and working on myself, my God, why? Should, how can I commit to this person for months and years? If I can't even pull off one month with focused attention, my God, what, what, what's, it, what's to come next, right? Because we usually move through our lives unconscious, right? Not focused. And if with focus you still can't do it, you got a bigger problem. You know what I mean? All right, y'all, question of the night up on our Loveline IG page in the stories. And then we'll be closing out with some DMs. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time for question of the night. Today's question of the night has to do with arguments. Now, again, remember, y'all, we always talking about the difference between chemistry and compatibility. Chemistry is that fire. <laughs> it's that, that drive, that arousal, that desire. It's that force that drags you across Starbucks and makes you ask that other person out. It's, the, it's that force, that desire that makes you keep wanting to see someone. And that's what's interesting. When you look uh, in, in terms of the natural process of courtship, you can begin to understand why some of these experiences have to happen. Imagine, imagine if chemistry wasn't a force that existed. It, we would be missing that really strong, powerful thing that makes us keep reaching out every day and getting excited when they text us, making us willing to put the time and effort into continuing to see someone. It's a necessary force, but we can get hung up on it when it becomes more powerful than levels of compatibility. When chemistry is powerfully strong, we'll ignore compatibility time and time again. And chemistry is important. It's that fire. It's that spice. But remember, compatibility is what happens when the two personalities come together. Compatibility is what we really look for in terms of how happy and healthy the relationship will be. 
And uh, I want to say that sustainability should be rooted in compatibility, but often it's rooted in chemistry. And that's where you see couples that are staying in really horrible relationships where they fight all the time, they don't get along well, and you're kind of like, why are you together? It's often because of the chemistry, because they're just pulled towards each other. The, the fire's there, sex is good, affection's good, they're attracted to each other, but that's not enough. And that's the point, is you want to have compatibility as well. And that's what happens day to day when our personalities come together. And compatibility takes time to assess. It's also the problem. Chemistry is there immediately within seconds. And that's what, again, keeps us coming back to explore compatibility. But we need to go slow so we can take a couple months to figure out compatibility and then make decisions based on that, based on both forces. But that's when some people, you know, you find out they got married right away or moved in right away or got monogamous right away or, you know, deleted the apps and focused on each other. They really didn't date. And dating's not the relationship. Dating's finding out if we should or could be in a relationship, right? So dating is the secondary piece. Um, but question of the night is a survey done by Finnish Cleaning Products. I love that. Says that the average couple argues about doing the dishes 217 times a year, which is why I say to people, hey, whoever's better at it or more interested in that, go do it. Let the other person do something else. Again, relationships aren't about equality, where if I'm doing the dishes, so are you. It's about mutuality. We all have equal power, and we feel equally empowered and cared for. And part of that's saying, like, listen, we fight over the dishes all the time. So you seem to want it cleaner, or you're more comfortable with that. You go do that, and I'll take on some other level of responsibility. Uh, I'll do the finances and the bills, or I'll you know kick the pick the kids up at school, or I'll cook dinner and you do the dishes. But a lot of times the fights are you know something that can be resolved by just saying one person do it, or even by realizing are we fighting are we using the dishes to fight about something else right what else might us might be be trying to work through so anyway question of the night was i know we're getting to it what's the pettiest dumbest argument you've gotten into with your boo these are always gems love this first person said over not putting the toilet seat down see i get it things like that can bug me and that's why i in one relationship had to say i'll just i'll just put it down i'll always be the down putter let it go. You know, sometimes the way you solve an issue is by transcending it, being beyond it. Um, question of the night, what's the pettiest, dumbest argument you've got into with your boo? Leaving shoes around instead of putting them on the rack. I know, I get it. Stumble over those bad boys, tripping. But, you know, again, cleanliness. Some of us like more cleanliness than the other. And sometimes the answer is the person who wants to cl more cleanly uh, steps in and, and, and handles that part of life. But, you know, one can say, hey, could you try to, you know, focus on that? But people get distracted, you know. What's the pettiest, dumbest argument you've gotten into with your boo? Someone said, putting his day clothes on our bed, especially my side, like gross. See, that's such a funny distinction. I don't think in those terms, day clothes. You know, the clothes that you've been wearing out into the world all day and they've gotten, I guess, germs is the implication there. So it's gross when it's on your bed. I, I never thought of them as such. I mean, I'm one of those people where they I put them right into the laundry basket, but... um. Yeah, I never, I never had such a powerful distinction of day clothes. Uh, question tonight, what's the dumbest, pettiest thing you've ever argued with your boo? Someone said he didn't clean the cutting board after cutting watermelon. It was our most epic fight. And again, the difference between when one person wants it cleaner than the other, I always say, hey, you handle it. I tend to, you know, I'm pretty clean, uh, but but I, I've been with people that are cleaner and I'm like, I'll, I'll kind of bestow that onto you because I don't want to argue about this. Somebody else said uh, everything kitchen related. Yeah, kitchen's a hot spot. Question of the night, what's the pettiest, dumbest argument you've ever gotten into with your boo? Someone said how movies actually ended versus what he thinks happened. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> That'd be, I'd love to hear the distinction, how it actually went versus what your partner says. Uh, someone else said an argument about our favorite sports teams not being good. Legit fights. 
It's so funny. Yeah, that's definitely something I don't get in on. I don't, I'm not sports centered. So I'm all like, eh, I'll just go with whatever you think. Um, yeah, I could see it happening with, with music. I have some strong opinion, strong opinions about stuff like that. Uh, question tonight, what's the pettiest, dumbest argument you've gotten into with your beer? We'll kind of close out on this one. I think the bed looks messy after he makes it. See, that's where you're being petty. I love that. I, I think you're owning that though, that, you know, here's this person. They're like, Hey, I'll make the bed. I know it makes us happy. And you're like, yeah, but it's still not good enough. It's like, well, then I'll let you take over. You can, you can swoop in when I'm done and kind of make it to your liking. All right. Thanks to all those that participated coming up next DMs. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Oh, Rachel, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore it with confidence. All right, this DM says, Hey, Dr. Chris, my fiancé and I have been planning our wedding since the pandemic began. Ah, sorry, rough times with that, right? We have it planned for later in December, but since cases are, are spiking again, we're forced to cancel the reception and have an even smaller ceremony than we had originally planned for. I love it. The idea of a small wedding, but my fiance wants to move it completely until after the pandemic because he wants a big wedding. I don't want to fight about it, but it's something that I am okay with because I just want our inner circle there, but he wants people from his high school basketball team that he talks to once a year to be there. I don't know why. Is there a compromise we can make? Um, well, I'm glad you're seeing it as both people's wedding. It's it's everyone's wedding and everyone's thoughts need to be accommodated, right, and discussed. Uh, I, I sadly some see some people think that because of their gender, being of the female kind or female presenting, that it's their wedding and they get to decide and it's not true. It's everyone's wedding. Um, is there a compromise? I don't know. Y'all got to figure that out. You have to talk about why do you want it small? Why does he want it big? What's the meaning in that? When we better understand the intention behind something, it can at least help us build empathy for why that decision has meaning for that person. And if you care about someone, you do want to understand. And in understanding, you might be more willing to say, yeah, that makes sense to me. I want to give you that. Let's make it bigger. Let's wait. Or you might say, here's my thoughts on that understanding and give them the meaning as to why smaller feels better for you. You know, I don't know what your partner's dream of wedding of a wedding has been. Men have dreams of weddings as well and want to get married. And his version might be him proudly having all of his friends from when he was a messy teenager there to witness the adult he is now. I, I, I don't know, but at least hold space to hear from him what, what a wedding is about and let that be as meaningful as your reasons. But this is part of being in a relationship. When we have differing opinions about where to live, whether or not to have another child, how big should our wedding be, it's really not about the topic as much as how do you manage it. And I'm proud of you for giving him space to share his thoughts and feelings about it as well. Um, and maybe you don't come to a decision by this by December and you put it on pause just because you're not really sure how you want the wedding to be. You have time. There's no rush to have a wedding. There shouldn't ever be. It's a fun event that you choose to put on that you don't have to. And you should do it not under duress, not under anxiety, but from a place of this makes sense to me and I want to do this. A lot of money and time can go into these things. So know that how you manage this topic, like every other topic, is about a sign of how much you care for your relationship and your partner. No topic is outside of that. All of them are always reflecting to your partner. This is how much I feel about you and our relationship. Watch the way that I deal with my thoughts, feelings, or disappointments. You know, so keep the bar high for yourself and keep talking it out. 
Um, maybe you have a medium-sized wedding. I mean, that's the laziest compromise I can come up with. Um, but don't rush it and make sure both people are happy. You know, everyone has a right to have an event like this make sense to them. And everyone comes into it with a different understanding as to the meaning infused in all the different aspects and elements. And they're all as legit as someone else's. No one's dream or meaning is more powerful or important than anyone else's, right? So keep the dialogue open. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about toxic family. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So uh, weigh in on that. It's always in the stories. Got a DM? Slide it on in those DMs. And uh, you can check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com, as well as past episodes of I'm Listening Live, which is every Thursday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on all the radio.com handles. That's Facebook, Twitter, and even YouTube. Also got those past episodes posted over there. Listen, y'all, spend the rest of the night doing some self-care if you haven't already. Still plenty of time to build that in, right? Self-care, things that make us feel good, grounded, nourished, some rest. Also build in something that gives you a little joy and a little pleasure. Times are tough. Even while honoring and respecting that, even while honoring and respecting the difficulties of those around you, you are still allowed to find moments of humor and joy and love. So build that in. Um, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.